Welcome, everyone, to the Talking Reef Podcast. Questions and comments are always welcome. Please send them to podcast at talkingreef.com. And don't forget to visit our website at www.talkingreef.com. Now, here's the show. Hi, this is TJ from the PodCop Podcast at podcop.net. You are listening to the Internet's premier reef-related podcast, The Talking Reef. And now... Here's your host, Rob. Welcome to the Talking Reef Podcast, the weekly talk show that brings you topics and discussions on marine and reef aquariums. I'm your host, Rob Weatherly. Well, welcome to the third part in the lighting series. Uh, this show, we're going to be talking about metal halide lights. Uh, before we jump into the topic, I did want to mention... Uh, I have received a few questions uh, regarding the different types of lights, metal halide lights specifically, and and other things. Uh, I just wanted to kind of say that the questions that I've been receiving were more along the lines of, well, what should I use here, and how does this fit in with this type of coral and this stuff? And those are questions that I'm going to get to, absolutely, Uh, but they're going to be for future shows. So just to kind of recap what's going on here in this series, uh, the part one in the lighting series was just a real general overview of light and why it's important and why we use it. Part two took some time to discuss the specifics of fluorescent lighting, uh, and we talked a little bit about incandescent lighting. This part, part three, we're going to be talking all about a type of lighting called gas discharge, which technically fluorescent lighting falls into it also, but this is the the HID or high intensity discharge gas uh, discharge bulbs, uh, more commonly referred to as metal halides. Uh, We're going to get into that in a minute. Now, going forward, the next part is going to be part four. Uh, This is where I'm going to take a uh, little bit, and I'm going to talk about reflectors and ballasts and various other components that are required to get get your setup done. From that point, we're going to go on, and in the final show, the final series, not series, but episode part, is going to be kind of like a Q&A session. This is really where I want to bring in all those types of questions as far as, okay, in what situation do I use this? Is this one better than that one? Those types of things. Now, I probably won't be able to give you exact answers, but I'll be able to hopefully help out with what I can. So uh, make sure you get all of your questions in for that. Uh, If you have any questions about this show that we're going to be talking about or any of the past shows, uh, I will definitely work to get those covered as well. Uh, So that being said, let's quit the ranting and raving and let's get into this week's topic. Well, here we are finally, part three, the part where we're going to take some time and talk about metal halide and high-intensity discharge bulbs. I'm sure this is a topic that many, many people have been waiting for, so I really hope that I get this covered uh, quite well for everybody. Uh, now, just uh, just to hold with what I've been doing in the last shows, please note that in this episode, what I'm going to do is talk about what they are and how they work. What I'm not going to be covering is what's better or worse for your setup. Uh, even though I'm going to attempt that in the in episode five, that's almost an impossible question to answer. Uh, so I'm going to give I'm going to do some generalization later, but. Uh, I'm not going to get into what type of metal halide bulb is going to be best when it comes to the specifics. Now, when we talk about high-intensity discharge bulbs, 
the first thing that you're likely going to see if you're going to be doing any do-it-yourself searches or trying to gather more information about these bulbs, you'll probably run into the fact that there's three slash four different types of HID bulbs that you're going to see. The first one, obviously, the one that we're looking at here is the metal halide. The next one that you're going to probably see is something called mercury vapor. And finally, what you could also run into are high and low pressure sodium bulbs. Now let's take a look at these. Uh, you know, we'll go in order of relevance, from least relevant to most relevant, and we'll kind of see a little bit about what they are. Now, the high and low pressure sodium vapor lamps. These are the ones that you're commonly going to see as street lamps or as external lighting on schools or buildings or something. They are quite bright. They are one of the most efficient in that they produce the most uh, lumens per watt. Uh, however, their color is horrible uh, for what we're looking at here. They are going to produce a very, very yellow color. And it's something that we refer to as monochromatic also. Uh, monochromatic basically meaning that it has really a single main spectrum. Uh, unlike, uh, as we'll see later on, the other lights will have a mixture of various different spectrums. Uh, but the the sodium bulbs, these high and low uh, low pressure sodium bulbs and stuff like that, are really putting out you know a single wavelength and aren't very well suited for what we're trying to do here. So if you come across those, you pretty much want to look right by them and move on to something else. The next one is the mercury vapor. Now mercury vapor is very similar to metal halide. Uh, the internal components are very similar, the chemistry in them is very similar. Uh, they are not quite what we're looking for for our reef tanks. Uh, however, it has been known uh, on occasion that people will do a, a do-it-yourself lighting setup and they'll use mercury vapor. Uh, I've seen that it can be done, I've never done it obviously. Uh, the big thing is that the mercury vapor lamps aren't going to hit the spectra, the total spectrums that we're looking for. Uh, as far as being a complete, you know, having a complete spectrum uh, for what we want. Uh, the other thing is they're not going to reach the specific color temperatures that we're looking for, and that they'll usually stop short. Uh, you know, they won't be able to reach the the 14, 16, 18, or 20 thousand degrees Kelvin that we're, we're looking for and that we can get out of our metal halide bulbs. Uh, and going on, you know, obviously the, the most relevant is the metal halide bulb, uh, and that is what we are going to concentrate this show on. So that being said, uh, the high and low pressure sodium vapors, we don't really want to look at. Mercury vapor, if you're really creative and you want to play around, you can probably look at it, although what you really want to be looking at uh, if you're going with these types of high uh, intensity discharge or HID bulbs is the metal halide. Now before I get into the operation uh, and details of exactly how these HID bulbs work or the metal halide bulbs work, uh, I want to start off with a couple terms and lay a little bit of a foundation. Now just for some generalization, uh, from this point forward, I'm pretty much going to refer to them as metal halide bulbs. Uh, but when you know talking about this, the stuff is pretty much the same whether we're talking about metal halide, mercury vapor, or, or whatever it is. Although because we're talking about reef tanks and stuff like that, what we want, we'll just keep the common term metal halide. One of the things that uh, one of the terms that I want to bring up before we go further uh, is a term called plasma. 
Now, uh, what I'm going to do here is I'm just going to give you a quick definition of plasma per Wikipedia. In physics and chemistry, a plasma is a type of ionized gas and is usually considered to be a distinct phase of matter in contrast to solids, liquids, and other gases because of its unique properties. Ionized means that at least one electron has been disassociated from a proportion of the atom or molecule. The free electron charges and makes a plasma electrically conductive so that it responds strongly to electromagnetic fields. Uh, again, there's that electromagnetic uh, uh, field or radiation term again, something that we've talked about a lot in the last couple shows, and again, that's all light. Uh, so basically, plasma is a type of ionized gas, and this is really what we're going to be using uh, to, to elaborate the, the further steps. So we have this ionized gas uh, that is, uh, basically, it's, it's, it's a gas that's extremely conductive to electricity, or electroconductive. So uh, just so that you understand that. Now, the next term, which you might have been curious about, is the term halides. Now... Halides is something altogether different and not nearly as easy to explain. At least I don't have a very simple explanation for it without um, without getting into a whole bunch of stuff. As I started trying to figure out a way to explain it, it just turned into, oh, well, you know, then there's this term and that term, so on and so forth. If you're interested in it, there's loads of information on the Internet that you can find out about halides. But for this conversation, I just want to say that um, it's in short, it's a type of mineral. It's a class of minerals, uh, and we're going to leave it at that. If you want more information, please feel free. And if you out there have a good, short, thirty-second explanation of exactly what a halide is, um, please call it in and, and give us that uh, an, an audio explanation, and I can play that on, on one of the follow-up shows for this. Now, moving on a little bit, let's start actually taking a look at what is inside of these metal halide bulbs. Now, the first thing I want to say is that the difference between the metal halide and the HQI um, are minor for what we're talking about here. So, the first part of what I'm going to explain is going to be the difference, and the rest I'm going to speak generally. It's going to apply really to both types of bulbs. So, starting off, we have in a single-ended metal halide bulb, you have your large mogul socket, which is the what looks like the screw to a regular light bulb, only it's probably about twice the size. It's called a mogul socket, M-O-G-E-O-U-L. Uh, and then from there, you've got a large glass bulb. Now, this is actually very important in understanding the difference between a standard single-ended or SE metal halide bulb and an HQI bulb. Now, this outer glass shielding, one of the primary functions uh, is to act as a UV shield. So it's going to absorb and protect a lot of the UV light that's being emitted by the inside of, by the light. Now, when you have a HQI bulb, you do not have that outer shield. Essentially, the HQI bulb is um, the inner part uh, that we're going to talk about in just a minute. Uh, some of the other functions of this outer glass shield are to serve as a protectant from stuff getting inside of there. If the inner components break or burst, it's a first line of defense to contain that uh, and everything inside there. So there are some good values in having that outer casing. So we have that outer glass case. Now working our way inside the bulb, uh, if you ever sat down and looked at a metal halide bulb, 
you're going to see that there's a lot of rods and looks like little wires and capacitors and stuff like that inside there. Um, most of this stuff we don't need to be concerned about. A majority of what you see is actually stabilization equipment, um, pieces of metal that are actually stabilizing uh, the what's called the arc tube inside of that glass bulb. So it's really doing nothing more than holding it in the same place and center within the glass bulb. The main components uh, that you're going to see are essentially two different wires. Uh, you're going to have a positive lead and a negative lead that are going to run to uh, the next part, which is a quartz, it's a fused quartz arc tube. So on the outside, we mentioned we have a the glass bulb, and that is made out of glass. Now we come on the inside, glass is not strong enough to withstand what's happening inside of here. Uh, so what they actually do is they have a fused quartz um, they fuse quartz and that's what's used in the arc tube. Now the arc tube is where everything is actually going to happen and that's what we're going to get into in just a second. But that um, fused quartz arc tube is actually what is being held in place by the rest of those those that, those metal rods and bars and stuff that you see inside that bulb. Now when you're looking at the HQI bulb you actually don't have the outer glass so your bulb is that quartz bulb and you don't have the glass pieces so uh, you'll you probably now understand the differences and if you take a metal halide bulb a standard single-ended metal halide bulb and you look at it and you see the arc tube inside well if you take everything away from that and put some metal ends some connectors on that arc tube inside essentially generally speaking what you have is an HQI bulb now um, there are some other differences but we're not going to cover those in here so now let's go in a little bit further uh, looking at the inside, we have the quartz arc tube. Now let's look at that arc tube, and what we're going to see is um, electrodes on both ends. Now you probably won't actually see the electrodes unless you're looking really carefully. Uh, if you dig in there, you you know if you look at the right angle, you might catch them inside there. Um, but you will see the wire leads sticking out of each end of the arc tube. Now these electrodes you guessed it they're the exact same very similar concept not exact same but very similar concept to what we're going to see um, in the fluorescent bulbs that we described earlier this is where the electricity starts from this is where it's, it's put in at now in the fluorescent bulbs we, we kind of started a chain reaction to ignite the the gas inside the fluorescent bulbs uh, but we're going to do something a little bit different uh, with the metal halide bulbs now, we have the electrodes on each end, but what's in the middle? Well, in a metal halide bulb, what's inside that arc tube is actually a very high-pressure gas, uh, multiple types of very high-pressure gas. You have, usually have argon, mercury, and other types of metal halides. Uh, again, remember that halide is a type of, of mineral. It's a metallic type of mineral. So that's actually what we have in here. And that's where they get the name metal halides from. Mercury vapor, you're going to have more specific to vapor. Uh, mercury, I'm sorry. Now, the one thing that you're usually not going to find in a metal halide bulb is um, phosphors. Now, if you remember from the the show we did on fluorescent lightings, phosphors are used to control the color temperature of the bulb. Now in a metal halide bulb or in a mercury vapor bulb or in a sodium vapor bulb, this is actually controlled by what's inside of it. So the amount of argon, the amount of mercury, and so the other gases that are inside of that arc tube, that is what's actually used to determine the color temperature of the bulb. 
Uh, so in this case, phosphors are not used. Now, just as a side note, uh, phosphors are used in mercury vapor bulbs to achieve higher color temperatures, more in the bluer spectrum, uh, but that we'll just leave that as a footnote. Uh, generally speaking, in metal halide bulbs, they do not use phosphors, and the changing in the coloration of the, te the, you know, the temperature of the bulb is actually done by different variations of gases inside the arc tube. Now, what happens when we screw the bulb in and we hit that switch? Well, for starters, electricity, uh, once electricity is applied to the electrodes, what's going to happen is it's going to create an arc, uh, an electrical arc, and that's going to start on you know the one end, and using the argon gas, it's going to arc straight across to the other side, and the argon is going to facilitate this uh, because it's very easily ionized, and as soon as the electricity starts, it fires up and it, it creates this arc right across the arc tube uh, from one electrode to the other. Now, this arc is going to heat up very, very hot. Now, as it heats up, you know, we're heating up with using the argon and that's what's facilitating at this point. So we've got this arc, it's heating up inside there, the temperature gets higher and higher and higher and higher. The next thing that's going to happen is we're going to start vaporizing the mercury and the other metal halides inside of there. And this is going to create a plasma. So essentially we're taking these metals that are in uh, a more solid form inside of there, we're going to cook the heck out of them uh, and vaporize them creating this plasma inside of the arc tube. Now this is where the light actually starts getting created from. You will get a small amount of light from the initial arc that's created in there. Um, but the real light doesn't start until we get this plasma going. Uh, and then this is where we're going to be, and we'll use the term burning, the plasma inside of there. Now there's a few interesting things to note about this as we go through and explain a lot of this stuff. Uh, if you ever work you know, with people online, uh, you'll hear the term firing. We don't start our, or turn on our metal halides. Usually what we're doing is we fire them. Uh, and you can kind of start to understand this more as we talk about the way that the, the electrical arc gets shot across there and fires off uh, this, this, this process here. Uh, and the other thing that you're going to notice is that uh, a term that's commonly used is uh, we don't have our metal halides on, we have them burning. So we don't have them on for 12 hours a day, we burn them for 12 hours a day. And this is actually more uh, appropriate than you might think. Now one of the big things that happens with a metal halide bulb is that we are slowly going to evaporate away and, and use up or burn off uh, some of these materials inside of there. And they're going to break down into other components. And if you remember back in the beginning of this show, we started explaining that the color is controlled by the, the amount of the different types of components inside there. Well, as we burn these components for so long, they start to break down, and the amount of each component we have starts to change. Well, what's that going to cause? You got it. It's going to start to cause the color temperatures to shift. And this is usually where we go along in having to replace our bulbs. A quick thing to note, if you are, you know, the first time you get your metal halide bulbs or the first time you've ever seen them, you might have noticed something. Uh, looking inside there, you pull that bulb out and you kind of roll it around and you notice the arc tube inside there. And you look and you can actually see what looks like small amounts of mercury, the, you know, the little metallic liquid droplets 
inside of that arc tube. And a lot of times people get concerned about that, thinking that there's something wrong with their bulb. And hopefully after uh, everything that I've went through, you now kind of get the idea of what that is. It is the mercury that we're going to be vaporizing to create our plasma to burn. When that arc is set up and gets going, it actually evaporates that mercury into a gaseous form that then ignites creating the plasma. When we turn off the bulb, what happens is the same thing that happens to hot water. We get condensation and it condenses out of its plasma or gaseous form and forms the, the regular liquid metallic substance that we'll see at the, at the bottom of the bulb. Uh, and that brings us into our next point that we're going to talk about is metal halide cooldown. Now, as I mentioned in the beginning of the show, or as it, when I first started talking about this here, um, a regular metal halide bulb needs some time to warm up. From the time you flip that switch, it's going to take a couple seconds for that arc to actually get created. Once the arc is created, it's got to then heat up everything inside the arc tube, which can take, you know, five, six, seven minutes. So we're talking and it doesn't sound like a lot, but when you look at a, for a light bulb, it, it's taking almost 10 minutes for it to be running at the, you know, f full heat. And this is, you know, from the time you turn it on, you're going to see it getting brighter and brighter. And then you're going to start seeing these color changes inside of it. And that's because we're starting to vaporize uh, various different components inside of there. The various different types of metal halides and mercury and stuff like that. And that's what we're, we're vaporizing. That's why we see the difference in there. Now, as I mentioned, um, everything in here is under very high pressure. And as we continue to burn these bulbs, the pressure inside there gets higher and higher and higher and higher. Now, one of the problems that comes around is if there is even the shortest break in electricity, it will cause the that electrical arc in the arc tube to get disconnected. And it can no longer flow. And then if electricity is immediately reapplied to it, there's too much pressure inside of that arc tube to recreate the arc and restart the bulb. So what happens is you actually have to cool the bulb down. This can take anywhere from five to 10 minutes for it to cool down. But what's, what's going on inside here is all of the elements that we were burning in this plasma form are going to then start condensing back into their original form, their cool form. And this is gonna reduce the overall pressure inside of there. Once the bulb is cooled back down, it's going to allow us to start the arc back up. Now, there are some um, fixtures that are being made. I don't know how common they are in uh, in the aquarium hobby, uh, but for industrial use, they have what's called an instant strike capability. And really what, what this entails is uh, just essentially shooting about 25 times the amount of electricity through it uh, because you know as I mentioned the pressure in there is so high the standard amount of electricity that we're going to be using to start that arc isn't going to be a sufficient to create an arc in an environment with that much pressure uh, so what you do is you just quadruple the amount of of light that uh, of, of electricity that you're going to shoot through there and you will be able to restart that arc now in the cases of our equipment what usually happens is um, a lot of the newer metal halide bulbs, specifically not the bulbs, but this is more of a, f a function of the ballast, will have a built-in timer. If electricity is ever lost or the switch is ever turned off, it'll actually kick off a timer and it will wait 10 minutes from, from the time that the power was lost before it will try to restart the bulb.
and this is good because it'll give the time give the bulb time to cool off so it can then be properly struck up and it can start burning normally again all right well that pretty much wraps up part three in our metal halide discussion or at least explanation um so I hope everybody uh, benefits from that. I hope everybody understood everything I was talking about. It's really not that complicated, so it should have went over pretty good. If you have any questions about the stuff that I've discussed in this show or any of the previous two shows, uh, please let me know. Uh, I can get those all together and get those answered in a follow-up episode. Uh, again, the questions would be about how these each work from a technology standpoint and I'll do my best to answer those questions and for all future questions send those in also and we'll get those put up on a follow-up show now before we wrap up the show this week uh, first I want to mention there is going to be a new shirt of the week uh, well, actually, shirt of the bi-week. <laughs> Twice a month, we're doing a new shirt. So we've got a new one coming out. So check out the TalkingReef.com website, and you can get the new shirt with the new slogan on it. All the details will be at TalkingReef.com, where you can see pictures and links to where you can find and get the shirt. If you buy it during the first two weeks that it's out, um, or, other way, or other words, while it's the featured shirt, you're going to save a couple bucks if you buy it at that point in time. So... Uh, what I'd love to see is everybody get their shirts and then take pictures wearing their shirts by their tank. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be the shirt. If you go and you pick up mugs or whatever else you got. But I'd love to start seeing some of the Talking Reef swag by, you know, get some pictures of people with it and get those posted up into the forums or on the website in some way. That would be great. The Tank of the Month contest for November. Entries have ended. Ended. Um, unfortunately, there wasn't very many in there. I'm a little bit disappointed with everybody. Uh, I don't know if you guys didn't think your tank was good enough. Uh, but, you know, in the case that you're going to see when the entries get posted up, there was only a couple that were even went in there. So, um, again, let's, let's try a little bit harder next month because a lot of work goes into these uh, by the contest moderators, by me and everybody else, to make sure that we bring these out to you uh, and that we have prizes for people. Uh, so let's see if we can get the interest in these a little bit higher. Uh, that being said, the Tank of the Month contest entries are done, as I mentioned. Voting is going to start in the next couple days. You'll see a new poll put up on the website. There will be a link in the scrolling marquee little banner thing that goes across and on the uh, webpage itself. So make sure you go in, do your part, vote for the winner. And the December contest entries will start up uh, very shortly. Uh, probably the beginning of November we'll start taking entries for that contest. So... Uh, get yourself prepped. Uh, make sure that you have everything ready to get in there. We're going to have a new entry system, so it's a little bit easier for everybody to get their entries in. You're not going to have to think of all this stuff. We're going to do a nice form-based entry uh, where you'll fill in blanks, multiple choice, all that type of stuff, and attach your pictures. It should be a lot easier, but we're working on that. Hopefully, it'll, it'll get everybody else uh, to get their entries in for the next contest. The MASM Monster Frag Swap, just a reminder to everybody, November 4th from 12 to 5 p.m. Make sure you check out MASM.org. If you're anywhere in the Michigan, Indiana, Ohio area, and if you can make it into southeastern Michigan, southeastern Michigan, 
uh, for this huge frag swap. I'm going to be there live, ready to go. We're probably going to do a little bit of recording, talking to some people. So make sure you uh, check out masm.org to get all of the details on, on where it's at and what to do. The next thing I want to mention is something that's great, something that I've been working on, uh, really trying to get parts together. I think we've got them now, um, but we're going to start working towards doing a live Q&A show. We're going to get a bunch of people together on the phone. We're going to do it like a, a radio call-in style. Uh, the whole thing will be recorded, and it's going to be released as a podcast. So if you wanted your chance to get on and talk live with me, uh, then we can do that. You can come on ask your questions we can chit chat for a little bit uh we're going to keep it short because we're going to be doing we're going to try to get a lot of people in there uh but that being said uh is we're going to we're going to work on doing these and they also get released as a show so stay tuned to the podcast and to the talking reef website for more details on that if you have if you have questions or comments regarding that or things that you'd like to see or ideas for that head over to the forums and post your idea in there i'd love to hear about your ideas to make this work great because I'm really trying to find ways to make uh, the Talking Reef podcast very interactive and make sure everybody gets the help that they need. Last but not least, listener call-in. You heard it in the beginning of the show. Now let's hear yours in the beginning of the next show. Don't forget to call in your questions, comments, and introductions uh, into the comment line. You can use the standard voicemail line. Pick up your phone, dial area code 586 586- Four eight six three three five seven, or use the comment line on the website or Skype me at Talking Reef and we'll get yours played on the air. That's going to wrap up the show for this week. Thank you all for sticking around with me and I will talk to you all next week with part four. <laughs>